buscando un escafandra al pie del mar de los delirios quien fuera Jacusto quien fuera Nemo el capitán quien fuera el batiscafo de tu abismo quien fuera explorador corazón Corazón oscuro, corazón, corazón con muro, corazón que se esconde, corazón que está donde, corazón, corazón en
Thank you. Muchas gracias. That was a song by a Cuban composer named Silvio Rodriguez. You should check him out. Really beautiful stuff. <coughs> this next one you may know. <coughs>
On this Sunday morning, when sleeping in might be a delicious option, we come together not to sleep, but to awaken. We come together to stay awake through the revolution and stay awake through the revolutions that we are a part of right now, to be awake for the revolutions to come. We kindle our chalice, remembering the revolutions that our UU ancestors stayed awake through. We kindle our chalice, knowing that we are not facing today's revolutions alone, but in the company of Unitarian Universalists all over the world. We kindle our chalice, knowing that we must prepare our descendants for the revolutions to come, revolutions that we can't even imagine. Days are breaking in my soul. Come, let us celebrate together. Please be seated. spirit of revolution, here's a song that I wrote just a couple years ago. <laughs> they took the big man down, they took the big man down, he lost his silver crown the day he hit the ground. They took the big man down The big man arrived with a big, big knife He cut down the trees and built us this life The big man put a new name on this town And everything else a thousand miles around The big man brought us pigs and sheep And pestilence and plague in his own bed sheets The big man turned the dust to mud With wave upon wave of crimson blood
And when the river of blood ran dry, the big man held his sword up to the sky and he said, you all belong to me. You are not people and you are not free. Big man cut off the young men's feet, a pile of tendons in the desert heat. They hobbled away with a glint in their eye. It took my feet today, tomorrow. Watch me down from the crown kicked the big man out of town they cast his likeness in bronze it's been 400 years and he's still not gone I am the big man flesh and blood I am the warriors crimson flood I am the people that the big man led. I am the women that the big man bed. I am the eagle that the big man fed. I will not be the lies that the big man said. They took the big man down. They took the big man down. He lost his silver crown the day he hit the ground. They took the big man down. So thank you to Laura. That was an original song that she wrote. So lovely song. So good morning. I'm Tori Near, and we are all so glad that you're here today. We welcome those of you here in our lovely physical sanctuary, our all-inclusive Zoom sanctuary, the family room, and the social hall. I invite you to take a look around for a moment and appreciate all the wonderful people sitting around you. There you go. And for those of you on Zoom, Please turn on your camera and give a friendly wave to all of those who are sharing that space with you. And if you don't like the camera, put on a heart emoji. It's always a nice thing to do. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be together in this wonderful community of gratitude, grace, and kindness. 
We are a church for people of all ages, and we understand that our beloved community makes many different sounds of living, coos and coughs and sneezes, sighs, rustles of paper, laughs, creaks, small children talking, and other small noises that happen along our spiritual journey. We would appreciate it though, if you would put your cell phone on worship mode. We always like that. And don't forget to turn it back on when you leave. Um, for the little ones who need a bit more to do, there is an activity table in the back of the sanctuary and the family room across the hall where you can still enjoy the service. All are welcome here to learn and grow in spirit. Come, let us worship together. Freedom, 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 freedom. Take your mask off. How about now? Oh yeah, I can hear myself. <laughs> Good morning, I'm Mia Noren. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at First Unitarian. And I have a story for you today about protest. Protest is for everyone, kids included. Protest is something we teach about here, especially when we're learning about the fifth principle. And what our elementary children learn is all people need a voice. It's no longer uncommon to see children and youth at demonstrations or even organizing their own. And my story today is about a protest that no one expected, not even its organizers. So last October, I was in Birmingham, Alabama uh, for a conference of religious educators and I made a point of visiting the 16th Street Baptist Church, which was the central meeting place for the 1963 Birmingham campaign. Uh, well, what was that, the Birmingham campaign? Uh, now, 1963 is exactly 60 years ago. And some of you may know that, seg may, some of you may, might not know that segregation meant that black people could not do the same things or go to the same places that white people could go. Imagine not being able to go to the amusement park or the swimming pool or the baseball diamond, uh, even black people ever. You couldn't ever go there and black people couldn't go into restaurants or hotels that served white people. Black children had to go to different schools that weren't as good as the schools that white children went to. Black people weren't even allowed 
to try on clothes or shoes before buying them. So black people knew this wasn't right, wasn't fair, and so did some white people. But in many places, especially in the southern part of the United States, segregation was the state law. And if black people tried to go somewhere they weren't supposed to go, they could and did get often get arrested or beaten or sometimes even killed. In the spring of 1963, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. went to Birmingham, Alabama, one of the largest and most heavily segregated cities in America, to bring people together to try to change that law. But he was worried about the success of the demonstrations. The meetings were usually attended by about 400 people, but only 35 or so would volunteer to march. And then not even some of those would show up. Segregation had to end, but why didn't more people volunteer? Well, they were scared. The sheriff in Birmingham was a man named Bull Connor and black people didn't know what he might do to them if he caught them protesting, but they knew it would not be good. Dr. King had already been in jail once and others were afraid to follow him. Besides, in 1963, they weren't even sure that protesting would do any good. But Dr. King, seeing that no one answered his call, again tried to inspire the group. The struggle will be long, he said. We must stand up for our rights as human beings. Who will demonstrate with me and, if necessary, be ready to go to jail for it? Well, there was a very long pause. And then a whole group of people stood up. All the people who stood up were children. The adults told them to sit down, but they didn't. Dr. King thanked the children and told them he appreciated the offer, but that he couldn't ask them to go to jail. They still wouldn't sit down. They wanted to help. Sorry. That night, Dr. King talked with a group of his friends about the events of the day. What are we gonna do, he asked. The only volunteers were children. We can't have a protest with children. Everyone nodded, except for a friend named Jim Bevel. Wait a minute, said Jim. If they wanna do it, I say, let them. But they're too young, the others said. They're, and Jim asked, are they too young to go to segregated schools? Well, no. Are they too young to be kept out of amusement parks? No. Are they too young to be refused a hamburger in a restaurant? No. Then they are not too young to want their freedom. That night, the group decided that any child old enough to join the church was old enough to march. 
The children heard about the decision and told all their friends. When the time came for the march, May 2nd, 1963, children, teenagers, and college students gathered at the 16th Street Baptist Church, and as they marched, the sheriff arrested some of them and put them in jail. But the next day, even more kids showed up, some of their parents and relatives too. And even more the next day, and the next. Soon, lots of adults joined in, and finally, a thousand children were locked up together in a makeshift children's jail. And there were no more room for anybody else. The youngest child jailed, Audrey Faye Hendricks, was six years old. And Sheriff Connor had done awful things to try to get the protesters, the children, to turn back. He told the city police to use force, and they used their clubs and turned big police dogs loose and allowed them to bite people. He ordered the city firefighters to point strong fire hoses at the children and push them down the street with the water. People all over the country saw the pictures of the dogs, the fire hoses, and the children, and they were furious, furious. And the children continued to march. Well, one of the people who noticed was President Kennedy. People everywhere around the world were so upset by the images and knowing what was happening in Birmingham that the president, just a little over a month after the children's crusade, made his intentions known that he would establish new federal civil rights legislation, which would end the state's right to practice segregation. Just a month. Today, when people tell this story, many talk about Martin Luther King Jr., but we should always remember the thousands of children, brave children and youth, whose courage helped to put an end to segregation in Birmingham and the rest of the United States. Freedom, 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 freedom. You don't always know when your act of courage will make a difference. There were many protests and marches in Birmingham and across the South in the 60s. Perhaps each one of them created just a little bit of change, a little bit of movement in the direction of justice. Many leaders during the civil rights movement were trained and organized. Many were compelled by necessity. All had a courage a core of courage that made it possible for them to say yes when it would make a difference. And sometimes just showing up is enough. 
showing up with that core of courage for justice over and over again. The important thing is to keep the flame at our core burning so that we can keep showing up. I invite you to look at our chalice, the symbol of generations of courageous acts. Focus on the flame, beautiful and strong, red, orange, blue, white, Imagine the spark inside you being rekindled by our chalice flame. Imagine the warmth, a flame of courage, ready to compel you forward. Precious Lord was Martin Luther King Jr.'s favorite hymn. On the night that Dr. King died, there was a gathering in Memphis. Dr. King was working on sanitation worker rights, realizing the links between poverty and racism. He had gathered with others at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis and was waiting for word about whether the authorities were going to allow them to march. There was to be a rally that night, and so civil rights workers were gathering and the Operation Bread Basket Orchestra, with its leader, Ben Branch, was going to play at the rally supporting the sanitation workers. Dr. King and Reverend Jesse Jackson were upstairs on the balcony, and they leaned over to greet Ben Branch as he arrived. Dr. King requested that Ben Branch play his favorite hymn, Precious Lord. He said, I want you to play it real pretty. To which Ben replied, you know I will, Doc. Dr. King was shot just a moment later. In the next few minutes of quiet, feel your internal flame grow. Committed to carrying on King's legacy, committed to change, committed to justice, committed to love. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. 
Spirit of life and love, we gather in prayer. This morning, we offer love and care to all those continuing to experience racism and oppression. The same that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. worked so radically to transform. And this morning, I am thinking about Selma, Alabama, a place made infamous by another historic moment in civil rights history a peaceful protest met with violence on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Selma continues to struggle with a legacy of oppression and severe economic struggles. And this week was devastated by a tornado that destroyed homes and businesses and made streets impassable. As we celebrate the successes of the civil rights movement, may we also acknowledge the ongoing repercussions of racism. Let us call to mind all those who are on your minds and hearts this morning. At the sound of the chime, I invite you to speak them aloud so that we may hold them all together. And if you are on Zoom, you may also share the names and other joys and concerns in the chat now. All these named aloud and held on our hearts, we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. In addition to these names, I lift up Glenda Gray, a retired minister in our community who passed away recently. We offer care and love to her family and friends. May we honor all those who have come before with our own flame of courage to the children, the leaders, the heroes, the unknowns, we continue a legacy of change that someday we may all thrive. Help us move through our days with strength and humility and love. Amen. Peace be with you. This is a song that you may be familiar with if you're a fan of ABBA. I made some modifications to the lyrics though. It's a wonderful song, um, but I've always found it to be a little bit vague. And uh, it's 
called I Have a Dream. So I changed the lyrics a little bit um, to make them a little bit more down to earth, I suppose you could say. I have a dream, a song to sing, to help me cope with anything. If you see the wonder, just one little girl, you can take the future, you can change the world. I believe in love, something good in everything I see. I believe in kindness, and I know the time is right for me the street I have a dream I have a dream I plant a seed to help me grow makes it worth the while pushing through the darkness still another mile I believe in justice something good in everything I see I believe in friendship the stream I have a dream I'll cross the stream I have a In 1966, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King spoke at the Unitarian Universalist Annual General Assembly, which was weirdly in Hollywood, Florida. Must have been the first and last time for that. For folks who don't know, General Assembly, more fondly known as GA, is the Unitarian Universalist Association's annual gathering to conduct the business of the association and so much more. This morning, on the day before the holiday in his honor, I'm gonna share excerpts from his sermon to the Unitarian Universalists. Now on that day, Dr. King preached for an hour. And I'm guessing that folks don't wanna hear the whole thing this morning. I don't know, maybe, what, should we do the whole thing? <laughs> uh, I actually wanna, I wanna say, thank uh, Reverend Sean Newton, who edited Dr. King's speech into something more manageable for a UU service. But it's easy to find the complete remarks online, though, if you're so inclined, just Google Dr. King, 1966, GAUU. 
Anyways, as for me, it's, it's, it's humbling to speak Dr. King's words. And I won't pretend that I'm anywhere as good as a preacher as him. And I certainly won't try to imitate his sermonizing cadence. But regardless, Dr. King's words still have great power. Looking at this sermon, at times I saw th how little things had changed. Other times I even cringed, knowing that we had gone backwards. For example, he talks about how the Voting Rights Act was a great accomplishment. But in, in 2021, the Supreme, Supreme Court substantially gutted the Voting Rights Act. And if Dr. King is watching this, he surely is weeping. So for these reasons, I'm moved to share the words of Dr. King. Let us begin. There are those wonderful moments in life when you speak before a group that is so near and dear to you that you don't feel like you have to engage in the art of persuasion. You don't feel like you are in the midst of strangers. You know that you are with friends. I can assure you that I feel that way tonight. My own personal experience with Unitarian Universalism began when I was a student at Boston University back in the early 50s. I can remember on several occasions visiting Arlington Street Church. And I can remember beyond that in the early years of my ministry. Indeed, beyond that in the early years of the bus boycotts in Montgomery, Alabama, three of your ministers visited and encouraged me during that very trying and often difficult period. I also want to acknowledge your massive participation in the events in Selma, Alabama during 1965. Now this support expressed itself both before and after the death of your colleague and mine, the Reverend James J. Reeb. We grieved together at the death of Mr. Reeb. As an aside, uh, James Reeb was a UU minister in Boston who went down to join the, the activities in Selma. In many ways, and for a long time now, we have worked together in a very meaningful way. I wanna express my personal appreciation for your support. And let me say that it has been of inestimable value in the conduct and continuance of our humble efforts. I would like to use as a subject tonight, the church remaining awake during a great revolution. Now I'm sure that each of you has read that arresting little story from the pen of Washington Irving entitled Rip Van Winkle. One thing we usually remember about the, Rip, the story of Rip Van Winkle is that he slept 20 years. But there is another point in that story which is almost always completely overlooked. It is the sign on the inn of the little town on the Hudson from which, from which Rip went up into the mountains for his long sleep. When he went up, the sign had a picture of King George III. When he came down, the sign had a picture of George Washington, the first president of the United States. When Rip Van Winkle looked up at the picture of George Washington, he was amazed, he was completely lost. He knew not who he was. This incident reveals to us the most striking thing about the story of Rip Van Winkle, that is that is not merely that he slept 20 years, but he slept through a revolution. While he was peacefully snoring up in the mountains, 
A revolution was taking place in the world that would alter the face of humanity. Yet Rip knew nothing about it. He was asleep. One of the great misfortunes of history is that all too many individuals and institutions find themselves in a great period of change and yet fail to achieve the new attitudes and outlooks that the new situation demands. There is nothing more tragic than to sleep through a revolution. And there can be no gainsaying of the fact that a social revolution is taking place in our world today. We see it in other nations in the demise of colonialism. We see it in the struggle against racial segregation and discrimination. An older order is passing away and a new order is coming into being. The great question is, what do we do when we find ourselves in such a period? Certainly the church has a great responsibility because when the church is true to its nature, it stands as a moral guardian for the community and for society. It has always been the role of the church to broaden horizons, to challenge the status quo, and to question and break mores if necessary. I'm sure that we all agree that the church has a major role to play in this period of social change. I would like to suggest some of the things that the church must continuously do in order to remain awake during the revolution. First, we are challenged to instill within people of our congregations a world perspective. The world in which we live is geographically one. All life is interrelated and somehow we are all tied together. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of all reality. This realization is absolutely necessary if we are to remain awake during this revolution. The next thing that the church must do to remain awake is to, is to move out into the arena of social action. It is not enough for the church to work in the ideological realm and to clear up misguided ideas. To remain awake through this revolution, the church must engage in strong actions to get rid of the last vestiges of, of segregation and discrimination. Fortunately, we have seen some real advances in this point. A myth, however, that we must deal with is that of exaggerated progress. Certainly, we have made progress in race relations. And I think we can all thank glory that things are better today than they were 10 years ago or even three years ago. We should be proud of the steps that we've made to rid our nation of this great evil of racial segregation and discrimination. On the other hand, we must realize that the plant of freedom is only a bud and not yet a flower. The Negro was freer in 1966, but is not yet free. The Negro knows more dignity today than in any period of history, but is not yet equal. There are still stubborn, difficult problems to deal with all over the country. I'm appalled that some people feel that the civil rights struggle is over 
because we have a 1964 civil rights bill and a voting rights bill. Over and over again, people ask, what else do you want? They feel that everything is all right. Yet we face stubborn, difficult problems, and they are problems that must be tackled. For I need not remind you of the dangers inherent therein. There is nothing more dangerous than to build a society with a large segment of individuals within that society who feel that they have no stake in it, who feel that they have nothing to lose. These are people who will riot. These are people who will turn their ears from the pleas for nonviolence. These problems must be solved. In the areas of housing, schooling, and employment, there is still a great deal that must be done. We've come a long, long way. We still have a long, long way to go. Now, let me say that I am still convinced that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and human dignity. And I'd like to say just a word about this philosophy since it has been the underlying philosophy of our movement. It is power because it has a way of disarming the opponent. It exposes their moral defenses. It weakens their morale. And at the same time, it works on their hearts and on their consciousness, and they just don't know what to do. Another thing about this philosophy, which is often misunderstood, is that it says that at its best, the love ethic can be a reality in a social revolution. Most revolutions in the past have been based on hope and hate, with the rising expectations of the revolutionaries implemented by hate for the perpetrators of the unjust system in the old order. I think a, the different thing about the revolution that has taken place is that it has maintained hope and at the same time it has added the dimension of love. Many people would disagree with me and say that love hasn't been there. I think we need to stop and talk about what we mean in this context because I would be the first to say that it is nonsense to urge oppressed people to love their violent oppressors in the affectionate sense. And I'm certainly not talking about that when I talk, when I talk about love standing at the center of our struggle. I think it is necessary to see the meaning of love in higher terms. The Greek language has three words for love. One is the word eros, the other the word philio, and the other word is agape. I'm not thinking of eros or of friendship as expressed as filio, but of agape, which is understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all, an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. In some strange way, we have been able to stand up in the face of our most violent opponents and say, in substance, we will compact, we will match your capacity to inflict suffering with our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with our soul force. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust law because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. 
Throw us in jail, and we will still love you. Threaten our children, bomb our homes, send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hours, and drag us out into some wayside road and beat us and leave us half dead. And as difficult as it is, we will still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win freedom for ourselves, we will so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we will win you over in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. This is our message of the nonviolent movement when we are true to it. I think it is a powerful method and I still believe in it. I know that it will lead us into that new day. Not a day when we will seek to rise from a position of, advantage, of disadvantage to one of advantage, thereby subverting justice. Not a day when we will substitute one tyranny for another. We know that a doctrine of black supremacy is as evil as a doctrine of white supremacy. We know that God is interested in the freedom of the whole human race. That God is interested in the creation of a society where all will live together and everyone will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. With the nonviolent method guiding us on, we can go on into that brighter day when justice will come. I talk, about, I talk a great deal about the need for a kind of divine discontent. Modern psychology has a word that has become common. It is the word maladjusted. We read a great deal about it. It is the ringing cry of modern child psychology. And certainly we all want to live well adjusted. But I must say to you, my friends, that there are some things in our nation and in our world to which I am proud to be maladjusted. And I call upon you to be maladjusted and all people of goodwill to be maladjusted to these things until the good society is realized. I never intend to adjust myself to segregation and discrimination. I never intend to become adjusted to religious bigotry. I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few and leave, leave millions of people perishing on a lonely island of poverty amidst a vast sea of prosperity. I honestly say, I must, I must honestly say, however much criticism it brings, that I never intend to adjust myself to the madness of militarism and to the self-defeating effects of physical violence. In a day when Sputniks and Geminis are dashing through the outer space and ballistic missiles are carving highways of death through the stratosphere, no nation can win at war. It's no longer a choice between nonviolence and violence, is now a choice between nonviolence and non-existence. Our earthly habitat can be transformed into an inferno that even the mind of Date could not imagine. I must confess that I believe firmly that our world is in dire need of a new organization, the International Association for the Advancement 
of creative maladjustment. People as maladjusted as the prophet Amos, who in the midst of his injustice, of the, the injustices of his day, cried out in words that echo across the centuries. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Through such maladjustment, we'll be able to emerge from the bleak and desolate midnight of humanity's inhumanity to itself into the bright and glittering daybreak of freedom and justice. These are the words of Reverend Martin Luther King. May they be so. Hello, First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque. My name is Damaris Donado, and I am a member of the board and co-chair of our Eighth Principal Explorations Task Force. And I am here to invite you to our annual meeting on Sunday, January 29th at 2 p.m., where we will have the opportunity to vote on adopting the Eighth Principle. The eighth principle reads, we, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. Unitarian Universalism is a living tradition. It is a time for us to make changes so that we are living into the Unitarian Universalism of the future a liberal religion that holds us in great, in, in times of great need and ethical, moral, and spiritual crises. We are in one of those times right now. At our annual meeting in 2022, our congregation decided, decided to embark on a year long exploration of the eighth principle. The board created an eighth principle explorations task force consisting of five members of this congregation. Reverend Jane Davis and I as co-chairs, Heather Clark, Mark Stevenson, and Gary Carlson, all intentionally chosen to represent a diverse group of social and cultural identities. In May of last year, we began working on the board's charge for our explorations group. Our goal was to guide the congregation to explore the benefits and challenges of diversity, inclusion, and equitable church practices 
with love and compassion for where we are, even as we hold each other accountable for the ways that we can do better. Our volunteer group researched other congregations embarking on this work. Like other UU churches, we quickly realized that our first step needed to be an exploration of our congregation's capacity for intercultural relationships. We engaged a consultant, Julica Herman de la Fuente, who is an anti-racism, anti-oppression educator and trainer in a variety of capacities for over two and a half decades to administer an assessment called the Intercultural Development Inventory. And what we found is consistent with, with what other UU churches have found. Of 64 individuals who participated in this inventory, most believed themselves to be in acceptance of cultural differences. However, responses to the inventory revealed an orientation towards minimization, reflecting a tendency to highlight commonalities across cultures that can mask important cultural differences in values, perceptions, and behaviors. Individuals who took the inventory were invited to explore the results in small group discussions to learn more about their orientation and how they can develop acceptance of cultural differences. As Dr. Maya Angelou once said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. We also held a church-wide eighth principle discussion where more than 60 congregants participated. If you were unable to attend, a link to the recording will be posted on our church's webpage. By the end of last year, our eighth principle explorations task force met with over 28 key church groups. And what we learned is that there's overwhelming support for adopting the eighth principle. Out of 121 people who answered our survey question, what do you think about the church adopting the eighth principle? 105 stated they support its adoption, 14 had not yet formed an opinion, and only two opposed its adoption. As a person of color, I am deeply moved by our congregation's willingness to become anti-racist, nurturing church that will be more representative of this beautiful state that we live in. Our vote to adopt the eighth principle represents our commitment towards becoming a beloved community that embraces cultural differences and fully realizes Dr. King's dream. Thank you. Hello again. So for many of us, this church is an important community in our lives and not just a building. We come together with a generous spirit, opening our hearts to all who share our spiritual journey. Another way to show our generosity and promote our beliefs in the larger community 
is to support the groups around us who are doing important work for those in need. Our Change for the Future recipient this month and through February is Street Safe New Mexico. They're a small, all-volunteer-run organization that provides essential services to women trafficked in the sex trade. Many at the same time are unhoused or need mental health care or other medical care. You can donate to Street Safe by dropping your loose change in the collection box or by using the envelope in the back of the chair and label the envelope CFF. We will now gratefully receive the offering. This is a song by Mercedes Sosa, written by Julio Neumhauser. It's called Todo Cambia, Everything Changes. And, you know, in times of revolution and learning, there's also lots of discomfort. So this song, uh, I'll sing the Spanish part and translate it into English. That which is superficial changes, as does that which is profound. Our way of thinking changes. Everything in this world changes. The weather changes as the years go by. The shepherd changes his flock. And just as everything changes, it is not strange that I also change. Cambia lo superficial, cambia también lo profundo, cambia el modo de pensar, cambia todo en este mundo, cambia el clima con los años, cambia el pastor su rebaño, y así como todo cambia, que yo cambie no es extraño. The finest diamond changes its brightness as it travels from hand to hand. The bird changes its nest. A lover changes the way that they feel. The traveler changes his path, even if it proves to be harmful. And just as everything changes, it is not strange that I also change. Cambia el más fino brillante de mano en mano su brillo cambia el nido el pajarillo cambia el sentir un amante cambia el rumbo el caminante aunque esto le cause daño y así como todo cambia que yo cambie no es extraño cambia todo cambia The sun changes its course to give way to the night. The plant changes its clothes and puts on green for spring. The animal changes its fur, 
the hair of an elderly person changes. And just as everything changes, it is not strange that I also change. Cambia el sol en su carrera cuando la noche subsiste. Cambia la planta y se viste de verde en la primavera. Cambia el pelaje la fiera. Cambia el cabello el anciano. Y así como todo cambia, que yo cambie no es extraño. But my love does not change, no matter how far away I find myself, nor does the memory nor the pain of my country and my people. What changed yesterday will have to change tomorrow, just as I change here in this foreign land. Pero no cambia mi amor por más lejos que me encuentre ni el recuerdo ni el dolor de mi pueblo y de mi gente lo que cambió ayer tendrá que cambiar mañana Así como cambio yo en esta tierra lejana. Cambia, todo cambia. Cambia, todo cambia. Cambia, todo cambia. Cambia, todo cambia. Thank you so much for that beautiful music. And will you all join me in blessing our offering this morning? It is with such gratitude that we're able to partner together in this way to create the changes that we wanna see in this community. Thank you for your generosity. I wanted to remind you, as Damaris mentioned, our annual meeting is coming up in just two weeks. January 29th at 2 p.m. You can attend in person and online, and it is your opportunity to, amongst other things, vote for whether or not we are going to adopt the eighth principle as a congregation. It's really our opportunity to live into all that we talk about and implement it in a covenantal sort of way. So I hope that you will come to the annual meeting on January 29th. You have two ways that you can prepare for the annual meeting. The first is today after this service, if you're online with us, I know there's almost 80 people online with us today, um, please stay after and join one of the um, breakout rooms where you can learn more about the eighth principle, ask any questions that you might have. If you all who are here in person happen to stay here until after the second service, or if you wanna get online on your phone, um, you can join us for another conversation about the eighth principle after the second service in person. 
So online after the service and in person after the second service today. And then next week at 2 p.m., um, I think that's the 22nd then, you can attend our um, online town hall, which is the opportunity to ask any lingering questions that you might have about the annual meeting, including eighth principle questions and financial questions and anything else that you have so that you can be fully prepared for our annual meeting. So 2 p.m. town hall online next Sunday. And one more invitation, you're also invited to sign a postcard to your legislator today. EarthWeb will have a table with information about the Green Amendment and other environmental bills after each service today. The Green Amendment recognizes and protects the inalienable rights of all people, including future generations, to clean water and air, a stable climate, and healthy environments. And do we have any newcomers here today? If you wouldn't mind raising your hand so that we can greet you with applause or join me in applause. There we go. For all of those online who might be with us for the first time as well. And will you rise in body or spirit and greet one another with our peace greeting? gather round people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone if your time to you is worth saving then you'd better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a-changing writers and critics who prophesize with your pen and keep your eyes wide the chance won't come again and don't speak too soon for the wheel's still in spin and there's no telling who that it's naming for the loser now will be later to win for the times they are a-changing if you don't know all the words feel free to, to say la 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 come senators congressmen please heed the call don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled There's a battle outside and it's raging It'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Come mothers and fathers throughout the land and don't criticize what you can't understand your sons and your daughters are beyond your command your old road is rapidly aging please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand for the times they are a changing the line it is drawn the curse it is cast the slow one now will later be fast as the present now will 
the first one now will later be last for the times they are changing yeah the times they are Let us all be maladjusted until the good society is realized. Go in peace and practice radical love.